Welcome to Stories from the Heart. I'm your host, Sandra McDevitt. Today, the story of a young widowed mother in dire straits who feels she is forced to give up her child until the wisdom of a young nun gives her pause for thought. Join us on another charming Stories from the Heart. The convent of St. Bees lay bathed in the afternoon sun. The perfume of the roses which bloomed everywhere was almost overpowering. The convent itself was a low gray stone building covered with ivy and having a wide cloister which opened on the community garden, a sweet and holy spot. The cloister adjoined the chapel where the voice of prayer, vocal or mental, and the chant of praise was seldom absent. Before the shining altar where the Blessed Sacrament was daily exposed, two nuns in flowing white mantles kept watch. Here they gathered the spiritual strength and sweetness, the heavenly honey, which presently they would give to others in the very busy round of their days. Very precious to the nuns of St. Bees were the silent hours of adoration and the recurrent chanting of the Holy Office. It was a thriving, healthy, cheerful community, strongly suggestive of the hive of bees, which is a sort of tribute to the name of its patron saint, were grouped under the sunny walls of the kitchen garden. With the exception of two very aged sisters in the infirmary, all were busy from morning till night. All, that is, but one. In the shade of the cloister and just outside the enclosure stood an invalid chair, and in that chair, a basket of sewing by her side, sat a nun. It was Sister Ursula, seven years in the community. She had come to the order no longer a girl, but in the fullness of her maturity, full of health and courage, and with an enthusiasm that knew no bounds. Her novitiate passed like a happy dream. What others found difficult, to her seemed sheer delight. The community congratulated themselves on a subject who promised to be of such value to the order and the day in which Sister Ursula received the black veil was one of rejoicing to everyone. But then came the unforeseen accident which left Sister Ursula wheelchair-bound. All this had happened five years before, and the anguish of frustration had given place to complete abandonment to the will of God. Never a word of complaint passed her lips, only intense gratitude that her wheeled chair permitted her still to visit the chapel, to follow the divine office, and, though she could not kneel before the altar, to offer to her sacramental Lord the homage and love of her heart. She was very far from realizing her influence on those who came to her for instruction, and counsel, or the assistance at her tireless fingers were in the sewing of the community. This afternoon, however, Sister Ursula's basket lay unused by her side, and the thin, beautiful hands under the white scapular fingered the beads of her rosary, 
as she gave her utmost, her prayerful attention to the young woman sitting beside her. You understand how it is, don't you? Only the most extreme necessity would persuade me to part with my child, but it is hopeless to think of keeping her. You see that, don't you? Gladys Jocelyn paused and fixed anxious brown eyes on Sister Ursula, who remained silent. Gladys' face clouded. This was not the response she had looked for, nor the comforting reassurance that had never before failed her. Hopeless? What a dreadfully discouraging word, dear child. Suppose we go over the ground once again. Well, it's like this, sister, you know. Ralph died so suddenly. Here the brown eyes filled with tears, which were resolutely checked as Gladys went on. There was only enough money in the bank to pay the funeral expenses. We don't own the house. It is just rented. But of course it is nicely furnished. And everyone in the neighborhood knows us and like Ralph. So I thought at first I could take some boarders in and that we should be able to get along. It is the only home I have ever known since I was married. Now, now, remonstrated Sister Ursula with a sympathetic moisture in her own eyes. Don't cry like that, Gladys. Let's look at the situation that seems so cloudy and see if there's not a bit of sunlight peeping through. It seems to me that keeping borders is an excellent idea. Even so, my friends think that if I send my child to my husband's family, it will be better for her, replied Gladys. Are they Catholic? No, but they promise not to interfere with my child's religion. Gladys paused, waiting for Sister Ursula to respond. I wonder, said Sister Ursula, if you would like to hear of an experience of my own when I was in the world. Well, let's see. I am not one of those erroneously born Catholics. No one is born into the faith except by baptism. My belief, like that of all my family, was that of the Church of England. The death of my dear mother and my father's remarriage left me a very lonely girl, centering all my affection on a darling brother. He hoped to enter the ministry and then make a home for me. But just as he was about to enter college, he died. My desolation was complete. No longer needed in my father's house, and being untrained in a business sense, I was in a condition of bewildered uncertainty as to my future. In this state of mind, I decided to make a visit to a very dear friend, an older woman who had shown me almost the affection of a mother. My friend was a widow with a little son, on whom she lavished an almost adoring love, and for whom I also felt a great affection. On my arrival at her home, however, I found that she was in no state to be troubled about my affairs. Her child was gravely ill. There were symptoms of typhoid fever, yet the doctor was not entirely sure. The little fellow clung to me, and it so happened that I was alone with him when the disease announced its character unmistakably by the sudden and terrible collapse. Young as I was, I had had some experience in nursing, and I was, by the blessing of God, the means of saving his life that night. Now after that, there was no question of where my future was to be spent. We were one family, and he called me sister, as my own brother had done. Then followed some of the happiest years of my life. 
but it was not to last. Again death stepped in, and a three days illness carried off my second mother. The boy and I were alone. Dying, she had given her child to me in perfect confidence that I would do all for him that she had done, and that none might take him from me. She had made me his legal guardian. Why, sister, exclaimed Gladys, that was almost my own case, but of course you had plenty of money. So everyone supposed, but it was not so. Then I became ill. Well-meaning friends gathered round my bed to persuade me to give up the child. Several offered to take him. Send him to his cousin in the West, my dear. Do show some common sense. But I replied, The Lord has given me this child to care for. He will give me the means. And then Sister Ursula's voice faltered a little. He too failed me, the doctor I mean, although he thought he was acting for the best. He arranged for me to stay in the hospital for a year. And then something very interesting happened. Very quietly there entered my room a connection of my boys by marriage, a woman I scarcely knew, a Catholic and the mother of a large family. She came to my bedside, kissed me, and gently told me not to worry, for of course the Lord would take care of us both. Then she took her promoter's cross and pinned it on my nightgown, saying that it had been worn by many an illness, and they had always recovered. She was most careful to explain to me that the cross in itself possessed no virtue. It was in what it stood for in faith and in prayer. However, I was not wholly ignorant in this matter. Even though I was Protestant, I had a great devotion to the Sacred Heart. I gladly wore the cross and said a little prayer she suggested. And then what happened? asked Gladys eagerly. Oh, well, said the sister. I was up by Christmas. But then the best is still to come. For when we were on a visit to Europe, we both received the priceless gift of the Catholic faith. Oh, how wonderful, breathed Gladys. And then everything was after that, happy and easy? Happy, yes. Unspeakably so. Easy, no. Life is not like that. But everything came in due time. Our home, school, college, gallant service in the war. And now the work goes on, for he has a little son of his own to bring up in the faith. You see, dear child, nothing stops with ourselves. The influence of every act and thought goes on and on forever. Listen, there's the Angelus bell. Let us say the Angelus together. As the soft chimes died away, Gladys said gently, Thank you for more than I can express for what you have told me and for your lesson. Greater trust in God, is that not it? My dear, yes, the trouble with us all is that we pray with such limitations. Then you think I should keep my child? Of course. What will any worldly advantage mean to you both if she loses her faith? And if she loses her faith, went on the nun, who knows the loss to others directly and indirectly. Please don't say anything more, dear sister. Nothing now would persuade me to part from Ralph's child. We will stay together, and when I am frightened, I will think of your story. But tell me the end what happened to your sweet friend. She died, but not before she had the happiness of knowing of the conversion of myself 
and my boy. Here Sister Ursula took from under her scapular the bead she had been holding and showed the promoter's cross to Gladys, who raised it to her lips. Sister Ursula smiled tenderly. Do not be afraid. Ask him for the courage and trust you need. And remember, no matter how dark the night, to ask him to be at the helm. Thank you for joining us on Stories from the Heart. Today's story, The Promoter's Cross, was written by Monica Silvergate and published in Messenger of the Sacred Heart magazine. For a copy of this or any of my stories, email sandra at avemariaradio.net. Stories from the Heart is recorded in the studios of Ave Maria Radio. I'm Sandra McDavid. May God bless the rest of your day. Missed a show? Not sure if it came from Ave Maria Radio? Go to AveMariaRadio.net. A list of shows and hosts are there. And if you find the show you're looking for, you can hear the whole thing again by going through the Ave Maria Radio audio archives. For years, we've recorded nearly every show from Ave Maria Radio. Just click on the audio archives message located at the center of our homepage. Now you even have more reasons to become a radioactive Catholic by going to AveMariaRadio.net.